This is Irish Illustrated Insider with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated and Pete Sampson from The Athletic. I'm Tim Priester from Irish Illustrated. We've been gone for a while in terms of our podcasts. We've been doing our one, two, three stuff, but uh, it's the first podcast in a while, and quite a bit has happened. Of course, Will Shipley chose Clemson over Notre Dame. Most recently, Notre Dame received uh, great news, I think great news, from NC State cornerback Nick McLeod. He'll be a grad transfer. Notre Dame still waiting on uh, Trevor Spates. He'll choose between Notre Dame and Rice. But um, we, we, of course, need to address the Shipley situation and Notre Dame's running back situation. But I, w- I do want to talk about Nick McLeod and, uh, and what he means to, to Notre Dame. He's such an it's area of need. replacement, right? Like- yeah. The area of need and getting talent at that area of need, the best offseason news you can have other than getting a five-star running back, I suppose. But, I mean, it, Nick McLeod can start. That We did not think two months ago they'd be bringing in a guy that would start at a position of need, right? No, I didn't. I mean, I didn't think uh, Nick McLeod existed, really. Like, there, <laughs> right. that yeah. there would be a grad transfer corner out there that you would actually want. Um you know, that this, if they added a guy, it would be, you know, I'll do respect to Freddie Canteen, but it would be more like in the Freddie Canteen or Avery Sebastian mold where you had major injury concerns, durability concerns, and you're just like sort of taking a guy to fill out the roster. Um, this is this is as close as you're going to get to Cody Riggs, I think, right? I mean, and especially Absolutely. the body type. They, they had Bracey and Crawford essentially the same player, and then you stick – McLeod on the other side, who's like, you know, kind of a longer, leaner corner who's played a bunch and doesn't have like a career of uh, injury concerns, you know, like sort of it was like MCL, I believe, um, yes, last year. Yeah. Yes. And he tried to come back from it, didn't really come back from it all the way and then shut it down, which opens the door for this. Like Notre Dame couldn't ask for a, a much better situation than this. Just to yeah, interject. I was going to say that it's not Freddie Canteen, it's it's Cody Riggs. Now, now they're a little different style. I think Cody Riggs is more of a field cornerback and and yeah. uh, McLeod's more of a, a boundary cornerback, but McLeod can cover. I mean, he's played a ton of press. He's, he has 21 career starts. He has 20 career passes defense, 15 in his sophomore, junior year. So he's an established player. He is a starter. Um, you know, I, I'm sure that they'll open the competition up with Bracey, but when they go to nickel, both of them are on the field with Sean Crawford and Kyle Hamilton and whoever they choose as the fifth guy. So, uh, he's definitely a starter. Bracey, you know, remake quote remains a starter in, in the nickel coverage. And it's as good as you could possibly have, have hoped for. You talk about, wow, they got to recruit a corner and they got Philip Riley, who I think was, is going to be really, really good. But here's one that you can plug in right away in 2020. I think he makes Sean Crawford better. Sean Crawford now does not have to play every snap of the base no and in the nickel and in the dime, and they can use Crawford the way he's meant to be used. And Bracey can, yeah. and Bracey can, uh, Bracey can still cross train, but he can he can get yeah. some reps at field, which he's more adept at. Uh, it really, really works. I know Clark Lee is is excited about the flexibility that this gives them. Um, so that's really, really exciting for for the Notre Dame secondary. Jason Anye has. Uh, verbally committed uh, since the last time we got together. I think he's a real project. Uh, I know <laughs> a lot of people are, are com- comparing him to Adeo Um and I, and I think that he is that type of player. I think long-term he's that type of player, but, it, you know, everybody forgets about Co- 
Kofi Wardlow, who was a guy that had very little high school playing experience, which is also Anya. I wouldn't compare him to, to Wardlow, but I wouldn't also just say, hey, he's going to be Ogundeji when you have a guy on the roster who comes from a similar background with limited football experience. I feel like at least with Anya, like there's something unique about him physically in terms of the length and the height. Which oh, I is agree. Why, which is why Ogundeji was interesting and why Wardlow was just sort of like, all right, I guess, um, you know, it was just, it was, Wardlow was just sort of a guy you take at the end to, to help out your roster. There was, there's nothing height, weight, reach of Wardlow that's unique where Ogundeji is like, okay, that's the kind of guy I want to take a gamble on. Uh, and I think Anya is sort of in that group too. He's not, you know, they're not going to ask him to come in and play right away because fortunately for Notre Dame's sake, they've recruited well enough where they, they don't have to do that anymore. Um, you know, and I, I've, I've asked Brian Kelly about this before and I think they, they have sort of come around to this, not at my advice, but just like always take one more defensive end than you need um, because that's a position where a rotation really sort of helps the program overall. And it gives you a chance to have the developmental guys. A bunch of them won't work out, but the occasionally you get an Ogan Deje. Uh, occasionally you get a Jameer Jones. You'd have to say that worked out over the long haul. You know, maybe Anya will be in a similar boat to that. Uh, always take I think it, defensive tackle too. Defensive ends, no defensive doubt. tackles. They are, it's valuable commodity. I, I go back to what Pete said, I think a few years ago when they got a collection of defensive ends in a two-year period. When the body types are like that, if only one works out of your two or three three stars over a two-year cycle, like Ogundeje and Jameer Jones, it offsets the fact that Jonathan Williams didn't work out or Bo Wallace can't get in. There still takes. You're not all, you're not going to mm-hmm. all hit. They're not all going to hit. But when they do, Ogundeje's a starter fifth year and was a solid backup on a playoff team. That's that is legit. That, that's was, enough for a four year three star project right there. He was it's arguably, like Trevor Lawrence. Yes, he was the best player out there. <laughs> I mean, Ogundeji arguably when you when you go snap for snap was Nordame's best best pass rusher last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. And Jameer I mean, Jones was of, one of them too. In terms he was of percentage a of productivity. Project. Yeah, I think Kanye ends up a tackle, especially Abiara uh, in this class. Uh, but but again, no, your points are all taken. I'm not saying he's going to be Kofi Wardlow as opposed to Ogan Deji. I'm just saying that we have a tendency that when a guy commits to say, oh, he's, he's going to be good. They're not all going to be good. It's never happened in the history of, of college football. So you're going to have some misses. But I agree with the philosophy of just going out and grabbing, especially a body type um, like his. Um, let's talk about the Will Shipley situation. He chose Clemson. Pete, you kind of suspected he might choose Notre Dame uh, but I'm sure I know you're not surprised by him choosing Clemson you know my my problem with the situation here is I mean I, I don't I don't know why it was necessary just to put all your eggs in that basket and then now you have to you, you have to like almost start over recruiting running backs and my problem <laughs> with the list that they have is that other than Donovan Edwards and LJ Johnson I don't really think that there's at least a short list that I've seen. I'm sure it's expanded since then. I just don't think that there's a lot of legitimate, true running backs on that roster. A guy that takes a handoff and immediately adds outside the hash marks, unless you're Reggie Bush, you're not a real running back. I'm exaggerating, but you know what I'm saying. You're going to have to be taught to play running back. I think it's kind of, that's kind of where you're going with that, right? Like yeah. It's, I mean, if you're not, if you're, there's if not you're like a natural – you don't find give me running backs with some natural weave between the tackles because like 
Donovan That's Edwards kind of and something LJ you have or they, you don't. Yeah. They play. Yeah. Donovan Edwards and LJ Johnson play between the hash marks. If you're a running back in high school that plays outside of the hash marks, you're a guy running around on the football field, unless you're Reggie Bush. And I know this speaks to the recruiting issue because he was an unrated player, but that's why I thought Sebo Flemister could play football at Notre Dame. A, they don't have a good yeah. running backs. They, a, they don't have enough running backs. That's the most, to be fair, if they had Dexter Williams, Josh Adams, and Will Shipley and Chris Tyree ahead of Sebo Flemister, he would not be taken. <laughs> However, they didn't. And it's, look, that guy can play running back. Problem is they have too many guys that are at the bottom of the developmental scale like Sebo Flemister, and you need to have him be a support running back. That guy might win the job. That's a testament to him and a bad thing, right? He, he should yeah, not win no, the 100%. job at Notre Dame, but it's, he could win the job. Yeah, it's, I mean, especially because when you're starting to compare Notre Dame's running back situation to the teams they want to compete with in the postseason, right. those teams don't have a lot of running backs who were once committed to Georgia Southern. I mean, it's just – and then yeah. to Georgia Tech and then to Notre Dame. So it's – I don't know. It, you know, Notre Dame's running back situation, they, they went – you know, they went all in with Shipley. Um, and I guess it's like – it's not like the entire football operation – refused to look at other running back film. Um, they were, you know, preparing for this in some ways, but you could certainly argue that they, you know, could have prepared more, whether it be opening lines of communication with other running backs. You know, Prophet Brown is a guy that they had been recruiting, um, you know, even while they were recruiting Will Shipley. So maybe they have a chance with there, but but with what Priester's saying is like, there's a lot of athletes who are trying to play running back here yeah. other than um, LJ Johnson and Donovan Edwards. And that's, it's a, it's, a, it's a difficult situation for an owner to be in, especially when you look at the, what the running back depth chart is going to look like a year from now or two years from now. You know, you're getting close to Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree, and that's it. Um, that's just not a really healthy place to be. Yeah, and I, I don't, you know, I don't mean to just keep picking on Prophet Brown, but he's not even fast enough to play outside the hash. I mean, I, I – I, I just, I don't even understand it. But I, I, I want to say this, Chris Tyree, I, I admire the way Chris Tyree plays because although we can talk about him being small, he's a running back. He's a guy that will oh, play yeah. between the hash marks and will take people on physically, whether he's prepared for that or not. He's willing to do that. And he's willing to, he's willing to run between the tackles, widen his base and break off of that right or left. That's how you play the running back positions. And I'm not questioning whether they were looking at film of running backs it was the the line of communication with the other running backs I didn't I didn't understand you know I I said this on one of our one two threes I mean I didn't understand why why you couldn't be talking to other running backs uh Clemson already had a commitment from a running back and they still got Will Shipley yeah I mean that's a really the most frustrating part about this for Notre Dame right like Clemson was just like yeah we like Will Shipley great we got him and Notre Dame was desperately all in with this guy, and they they couldn't turn the tide on that. Um, you know, Notre Dame made a calculated decision that being all in with Will Shipley was a recruiting tactic unto itself, mm-hmm. that that was going to impress him and help get him to come to Notre Dame. It didn't work out. Um, but it, it's, you know, we're, we're talking about developmental prospects earlier. Just because something doesn't work out doesn't mean it was a terrible decision or a wrong decision. It just, it didn't work out for Notre Dame. They took a gamble and they lost, but they felt like they needed to take that gamble to have a chance to win it. Um, so I, I sort of wrote this after the decision, just like, 
if I was Notre Dame, I would be as much as this stings, I would be more heartened that I can go against Clemson and almost, you know, win head to head those kind of battles for kids from the South. than look at that as like, well, we can't, we can't engage in this kind of level of recruiting because it's just not working out. Cause that's, to me, that's a pretty defeatist attitude that you're not going to at least try. And they got so close that I think going all in, having Brian Kelly hyper involved in this, um, should Notre Dame can take some positive, like, okay, if we really bust our ass on this, we can make a serious run. Last thing I want to touch upon, I think it's probably the furthest, we, furthest we've gone into a podcast since the, the coronavirus outbreak that we haven't mentioned it up until this point. But I do want to talk about uh, real briefly in this segment, um, Jack Swarbrick saying that, that we won't be at capacity um, this fall. We have questions in the second segment about whether we think there's going to be a season or how many games, and we'll touch upon that. But um, Swarbrick's recent comments about not being at capacity, and we were kind of talking before we went started to record about the problems involved with deciding how many people that is and just all the things that go into a game day situation that they just make this that will continue to make this a very difficult uh, decision making process for all of college football. I don't like the um, proclamations three months in advance, but this one does make sense. We won't be at capacity. If that, if that makes it, it it's like one I can kind of live with when you hear that it's someone being honest and he has more information on it by leaps and bounds than we do. I don't like the school is canceled in November and December proclamation when you're, uh, when, when you're sitting here in May, but I obviously he, when he said we won't be at capacity, it's because he recently learned they will not be at capacity. That was that. I don't feel like right. Jack Schwarberg said that in a way like, well, you know, we have a plan, but here's my guess. You won't be at capacity. He knows they will not be at capacity. And that's kind of when I read, it, I was like, ah, they won't be at capacity. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the idea of the students going and then whatever, I, I don't, I don't know how you, who do you limit the capacity to? Is it season ticket holders? But most season ticket holders, I would guess, just logically speaking, are older because they've had those season tickets for so long. Notre Dame doesn't turn over all its season tickets very often. So the people that really should not be there would be the season ticket holders. So you, do you limit season ticket holders from going? That doesn't make sense either. It's a very strange situation in that obviously you would think, didn't Swarbrick say we are in a unique situation with our tickets where half are season ticket holders and we have half hope and they're in that realm. Season yeah, ticket that holders. Ac- yeah. They that accurate? Be- I mean, is that? He brought it, he brought it up on the Zoom. Yeah, I know, he, I, I yeah, know, yeah. I know he said it and I'm sure he's right. He says it, of course. They're but. under half. Uh, season tickets is less than half of the capacity. Okay. Of the stadium. Okay. Do you agree though? That they would, they would, they want it to be half. They're probably older. Yeah, right? no, but I, I agree. Cause yeah, I don't think a lot of young sure. people have the resources to buy them right, um, right. <laughs> and make the donations to have the privilege to then buy them. So yeah, it's I don't I don't know you, I don't understand how that works at all. Who gets yeah. chosen to be in there yeah, or I not? Know. I mean, if, I know it's, I sort of view it as like it's going to be students and faculty, and that's it. Like I don't know if there's going to be any season ticket holders at all. Well, I know as a member of the media that w- would get applications. I know I'm not in the group. <laughs> that not that I would be in the stadium, but I know that I'm not in the group of uh, season ticket holders that's included because I didn't receive anything. So um, anyway, I, you know, I don't know. And then spacing, we were talking about this before we recorded, just spacing in the stadium and, and uh, concessions, which you probably just have to el- not necessarily eliminate, but like inside the stadium, if concessions probably 
needs to be all outside of the stadium. I don't know, man. It's just uh, it, there are so many things to consider that you can't consider them all. Yeah, the student, the student. Uh, I know what Swarbrick is saying, where students, um, you know, should have the first rights and privilege to it. But I agree with that. But part of the allure of the student body at Notre Dame and at any school in the student section is being on top of each other the entire time. I mean, that is the part. Yeah, that right. is the yeah, love of the student section sit. is that you are right combined and you're like you remember the big touchdown you're landing on each other if you're social distancing who cares right. if it's students or anybody else yeah. in there? no hey, I mean, <laughs> hey brother hey move over move over yeah. Yeah, i gotta be saying that <laughs> but i mean if you had an entire stadium to space out like this can you if they had the students but then forced them to sit in the student section while the rest of the stadium was empty, <laughs> know, that would that would sort of defeat the whole purpose. But what's right? what's the like, fun? What's the fun of spreading six, four thousand students around the stadium? It's like they don't want to be there anymore. Students than should be in luxury suites. Why not? Um, have have seniors be in luxury suites in the mezzanine level. It's too hard um, and it'd be too hard to pass the bottle from one to Yeah, to there's yeah. totally on a luxury. They serve <laughs> they serve alcohol up there. It should be fine. Um, yeah, I I don't I guess I sort of view the stadium as like, it's going to be students and probably some faculty, but like you'll have those, what, 10,000 people spread out over 80,000 uh, areas to sit. So I, I don't know. I, I just don't know how you could, I think Priester, you'd mentioned something like, you know, in the forties, like half capacity. Well, Swarbrick had originally. Um, that seems difficult. Yeah, initially he threw, I think he threw out a figure of 45,000. That was, that was yeah. a while back before we Okay. Were, you know, so, and that, and 45 is too many. doesn't work. Tim, last thing. My honest reaction to 10,000 people spread around a college football stadium that hosts 80,000 is they would rather be home watching it on TV. Well, they'll have, they the would have that, is they have that option. They could, yeah, then, they would. That's, but my point yeah. is like, who cares if you're in the stadium of 10,000 that holds 80,000, then it just, I mean, you went to I don't a know. game and it's got nothing to do with your, yeah, I don't know that I necessarily it. agree with that, but I know where you're coming from. I mean, it's just, it's a completely different environment without tailgating to well, he didn't say without tailgating. He said tailgating would be would be altered. And I don't know. Again, now now we're talking about outside the stadium yeah. for crying out loud. I, I, you know, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how you control that. All right, segment two coming up, burning up the boards. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time. It's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider burning up the boards. We start with a question from Jim underscore Booney underscore CRS. I know that Notre Dame signed a ton of linebackers two years ago, but are you even a little bit concerned that it seems like we don't lead for any linebacker recruits, let alone have a list of reasonable linebacker prospects? Yes. I think that's a, a legit concern at this point. Uh, um, I realize they, they take safeties and turn them into linebackers, but there aren't a lot of safeties on the roster that I see that could be turned into linebackers or safeties in the recruiting class. Like they didn't, they completely whiffed at safety last cycle. So it's, you're, you're removing the prospect of that conversion of the Paul Mawala type uh, to move down to the box a little bit. So I, I don't know. I, I, I understand like they, they overloaded a couple cycles ago, but I don't know about you guys, but I don't, 
I don't hear a lot about Asita Aquanu, um, a little bit about JD Bergtrand, a bunch about Maris Lufau uh, and Jack Kaiser. Those guys come up to me, you know, when I talk to people around the group. But I, I guess I just sort of look at that group. I'm, I don't have a lot of confidence that they're going to go four 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 from that class, which they sort of need to do if you're going to almost skip over one cycle and then maybe only sign one or two the this the current one that's under construction now. I didn't think it was a big deal when they missed out in 2020 because of the four you just mentioned. Plus, you had three in the previous class. I know Ogofo has moved to defensive end, but that's fine. He's still on your roster. Um, and they redshirt. The, the redshirts have actually worked out. Like Drew White will be around for a fifth year and be a good starter. Yeah. We didn't. We didn't see that coming. But you you can't have uh, you can't have two project linebackers land in 2021 and think it's going to work out either. Because Pete, as you said, all four of those guys aren't hitting. Neither are the next two. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're not your if they're not your primary targets, if they're not top tier prospects, you cannot bet on two guys hitting. It's just not the way it works. The position also due to injuries. I mean, it's a volatile shoulder injury position at linebacker, and yeah. at some point you need numbers. When you get zero, at some point you need numbers, and they need to be quality numbers. You know, when you look at the the linebackers, there's only one with one year of eligibility remaining: Jordan Jim Markeith, but Alusu Koromoa. You know, right. he has one year of eligibility. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's one and a half years of yeah, eligibility. Because he'll be getting paid and deemed ineligible. When you, yeah, you draft. would think so. And then Osita Kwanu, J.D. Bertrand, Leofau, and Kaiser all have four years of eligibility. Jack Lamb with three. Uh, Mawala's down to two. Bowers down to two. Months. Pardon me? Bowers down to two. That's Bowers down to he two. Played, he played both years, yeah. You know, fortunately, Drew White does have two years. Yeah, I don't understand it. Pete, you and I have both had interviews with – with Clark Lee, we had a million things to ask him. I didn't ask him about the linebacker recruiting. I don't know that you did. No, so, I didn't. Uh, bad, bad on us for not doing that, but I don't have an answer for it right now. I would imagine that before all is said and done with this class, so they will add a linebacker, but we, I, I don't know who it would be. That's uh, what I mentioned. They're going to end up doing it, but that's not a hit. That's right. That's the body, and right. that doesn't work out necessarily. Yep. CMU Devils fan. As much as missing out on Will Shipley stung, am I crazy for viewing a guy like Rocco Spindler as a more important recruit on positional value alone? Notre Dame had a guy like Josh Adams, a three-star running back who went undrafted in the running for the Heisman late in the season, as well as converted wide receivers ProSize and Armstrong developing into legitimate starting running backs. I have four yes. disagreements. I'll let you guys go first. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You're crazy. Um, <laughs> Notre Dame is just not recruited running back well enough to just sort of like, well, missed on Shipley. It's fine. Um, I think they have done a pretty good job at guard. Although this class needs to be great at that position. So Spindler is really important. Um, I guess I, I respect to CMU devils fan. I just don't really like these styles of questions because it's like, well, isn't this one actually more important? Cause I get a lot of like, well, you know, isn't having Tyler Buckner more important than, than Will Shipley or, you know, isn't having a game breaking receiver more important than having a game breaking running back. And my answer is pretty much always the same. Like Clemson chose all three. They took all of the above Ohio state chooses all of the above. Um, and often they do it like in triplicate. So, you know, Notre Dame needed Spindler and Shipley. Um, that's the way I look at it. So I don't, I don't sort of, I don't really like entertaining the isn't isn't this guard more important than running back? I don't think that he is. 
but ultimately you need to sign both of these kinds of guys, not just choose which one's more important. Yeah. We, we live in a ranking world of sports coverage and it's, a, and, and we're always ranking and, and not, not to CMU devils fan, not to keep harping on this, but I mean, Spindler's really important. I think Spindler's a, a potentially great offensive guard. If you were just ranking five, four, three star guards, I would, he's a five-star guard. Um, but you need Will Shipley and, or, somebody else. Now you did get Chris Tyree. And I think that we tend to overlook that, but we don't look at him as a guy that's going to carry 15 times a game uh, per se, but Spindler is very important. There's no doubt. And they better get him. They, they absolutely better get him. He's, he's that important, I think to this class. And I would argue, you know, let's see the other thing that happens in recruiting. You lose a guy and it completely overshadowed getting Philip Riley. And that's, that's just not reality. I mean, he's really, really important to Notre Dame. Um, now I think you could argue, you, you might be able to argue that a cornerback, a, a great cornerback is as important as getting the running back. But, but again, that's a whole rating system. I think Philip Riley's really important to Notre Dame. Um, Spindler is as well. And you better have an alternative for Will Shipley. Otherwise you're coming up short at running back. And I, just to put a quick point on this, Tim, you mentioned that Spindler can be a great offensive guard. You know what a great offensive guard can really be augmented by? A great running back behind him. <laughs> well, we do. Because, yeah, we have a – Look, uh, CJ Prosize, Jafar Armstrong, that's one plus and one we have no idea and is trending towards not plus right now. So let's not say that he came solid starting running backs because Jafar Armstrong not, has not beaten – No, no, he's not. Uh, Josh Adams was a top 200 running back, but the only reason he didn't go drafted – was because he arrived on campus with a bad knee. So he, that was going to be found out as he did his medicals for the NFL. Josh Adams is a pretty good running back. I mean, he might not have been Saquon Barkley, as Pete pointed out a lot in 2017, but Josh Adams and Jafar Armstrong are different breeds. You know, we're not looking at – you never looked at Josh Adams and thought that guy won't be a good running back at Notre Dame. The second he hit the floor mm-hmm. running, he was a good running back as a freshman. If you get Josh that- Adams instead of Will Shipley, I'm okay. That's fine. But you better get Josh Adams. I have to say, okay, so that cycle, Notre Dame thought it was getting Ronald Jones, and it missed. It got Josh Adams instead. And That's Dexter. Okay. They had Dexter Williams. Uh, yeah. However, put Ronald Jones <laughs> behind the 2017 offensive line. All right. I mean, Ronald Jones is in New York at the Heisman ceremony at that yeah. point because um, he, he was just a, a superior level of running back behind a great offense. It's, again, yeah. I want both. I want – I want the great running back and the great guard and the great corner, like, and then probably a great quarterback and a receiver and all that. I mean, it's everything. You're, you're trying to get it all. Tying into your comment, uh, O'Malley, into the next question from CMU Pence fan, how can Irish get more out of Kramer, Eichenberg, and Hainsey? Put better yeah. running backs behind them. Uh, do you think these guys are able to raise their games to the next level, or were they just slightly overhyped? are who they are and a step down from previous ND O-lines. I absolutely think Eichenberg is going to raise his game. I'm kind of pounding that drum this whole offseason. I liken him to McGlinchey as a senior where he was not – this is 2016 McGlinchey – where he was a good player. He he was a very good blocker, happened to be on a bad team. He made a lot of dumb pre-snap errors, and everybody remembers him for that. Then he became an All-American. I don't know if Eichenberg is going to be a top five offensive lineman All-American. I'm just saying I think he will be an outstanding player. Hainsey has been a very good player, and Kramer started coming into his own last year. I, I do – he was overhyped last year because everybody in the world saw his recruiting ranking and made him an All-American. That was just dumb. We knew that wasn't Tommy Kramer. But 
I don't, they're a step down because they're not as good as Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey. I mean, I just said Liam Eikenberg can be a guy that steps up, but he won't be as good as McGlinchey, the, well, the second was, best lineman on the team. Yeah, I mean, the, the comparison's not exactly that line with McGlinchey and, and it, previous Notre Dame lines. I mean, I don't, Pete, I don't, I don't know what your thoughts, I mean, I don't, I don't think, Tim, I'm not as high on Eikenberg as you right, are. I think right. he can be very good this year. I don't know that he's McGlinchey-like because I don't know that he's as mentally tough as McGlinchey. Um, Haynes, he's been a good lineman and will be very good if he's healthy again. And then um, Kramer was, as you said, definitely trending up, definitely playing his best football by far at Notre Dame when he suffered the injury last year. Pete? Yeah, I just think, I just think they're good offensive linemen and they're – they're unfortunately being they're they're the guys that followed the guys. Um, you know, Notre Dame was not going to have a first round pick starting at left tackle forever, even though it seems like it's been that way since Brian Kelly showed up. And that's that's fine. I mean, there there are plenty of good offensive linemen who go in the second, third, fourth, fifth round. Um, and I, I'm sh- I guess I look at Eichenberg and Kramer as like they're surely going to get drafted next year. Um, you know, maybe it'll be day two or day three instead of day one, but, um, you know, what they need to do to raise their level. I don't, maybe Chris Watt will help out a little bit. Um, I'm not really sure. Um, you know, but experience in five starters returning on an offensive line. I mean, I hate to say just like they should default to being better because they have all that continuity back, but they should sort of, that should be their default. Like they should be a lot better because they have everybody back. I completely agree with you. They should default to being better. And Tim mentioned something we did on a uh, Irish Illustrated one, two, three. This line, this might be the undervalued unit of the team. Like this right. should be the best. Yeah. People yeah, are so could. down on them. They should be really good. They, Especially they, no excuse get, not to be. And you get touches for Tyree that can make them look better. Uh, I, no doubt about that. Irish Cowboy, I, I got it. Irish Cowboy 88. I know it's hard to predict something like freshman performances and team fit with a group of guys who've only had one total practice at Notre Dame that was weeks ago, but best educated impact freshman. And do you think anyone has a chance at a quote Hamilton like unquote breakout season? Were you guys surprised when Brian Kelly sort of floated that this, I think it was this week that, you know, had the Kyle Hamilton freshman all American season. And we're going to have guys like that again this year. Like, cause I, it's hard for me to look at the roster and figure out who the next Kyle well, Hamilton I think is. They would all be on the offensive side. Yes. Uh, yeah, other than Vitello, other than Vitello being a crazy edge pass rusher, right. I think all of them are on the offensive side, and Chris Tyree is probably who he has in mind. It would be a positive for Notre Dame if that's who it was. Yeah, yeah. and I think I mean, there are a couple more other so than Mayor. Like if you had said who's the next Kyle Hamilton and what, what would be the best answer for that for Notre Dame and the choices were mayor, Jordan Johnson, or Tyree. I mean, I think we would all pick Tyree, right? Yes. And I think he's because the of like, opportunity mainly. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, they already have Tommy Tremble at mayor's position and he will be good. And Brock Wright yeah. could end up being good. Fine, um, yeah. Yeah. And as I think I wrote this story recently uh, in the countdown, Pete, just a wild guess and guess low the total number of true freshman catches for tight ends under Brian Kelly in all 10 years. Oh, true freshman. Yeah. Ooh. And I'm remember that Alizé Jones did play. He had to start because uh, Smythe got hurt. Eight. 16. And Alizé Jones, oh, Jones had 13. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's, well, I, no, Mayer's going to get some catches, but, like, 
he's not breaking out into an all-star as a number three tight end. This is another tendency of the way we evaluate things these days. I mean, another Kyle Hamilton, Kyle Hamilton's Jalen Smith, right? I mean, right. Right. <laughs> now, I don't think BK so, said we're going to have a Kyle Hamilton type, did he? I didn't read it that way. He just he said kind of. I mean, I took it as like we're going to have some freshmen on our roster this year that have a Kyle Hamilton like impact. Okay, well then uh, he then Tyree is a candidate for that. Michael Mayer is a candidate for that, although he he has uh, you know Tremble to deal with. Is he talking about Jordan Johnson? Um, I'm really high on Xavier Watts. I mean, I think those are the guys that are in the running for something like that, but I, I still wouldn't say Kyle Hamilton because to me, Kyle Hamilton is a, yes. is a Jalen Smith like <laughs> yeah. physical presence coming into the, into the program. I think he wanted to end a zoom call on a positive note. Yeah. <laughs> is that what he did? <laughs> yes. <laughs> K. Garrity, eight. ND has really used transfers to help shore up some spots on the roster this year, more so than in the past. Do you think that as a transfer portal changes and college football adapts to it, that ND will be more willing to look for fits via the portal? Or does this revolve around the production that ND gets from the three or four transfers they took this cycle? That's an interesting question. Um, I felt when they started getting more in the transfer portal that I don't know. I, I sort of had this like, well, that's like not a very like Notre Dame thing to do. Like Notre Dame is, you know, I got the, the four year institution and, you know, all, all sort of like what Notre Dame presents itself to be. And I guess the more I thought about it, I was like, well, Mike Bray does it. Um, right. Every other, every other sport does it. Like why shouldn't Notre Dame football do it? And, you know, the, the grad transfer works out perfectly for Notre Dame, probably more so than just traditional transfers because, they graduated. Um, they've already shown that they can hack it academically. Um, and as long as you're willing to sort of not pretend like they're here to get their master's degree, then I say go for it. Um, but this might be how Notre Dame, I guess, like, what's the best? If you can't recruit five-star freshmen at the level you want, then get a fifth-year player who's had four years of college weight training and has played in what is McLeod started 19, 20 games 21, at NC State. Twenty. I mean, I would. I think that's that might be the workaround to get caught up to teams that have um, a bunch of Kyle Hamiltons running around. Is you can get the guy who's been already developed for you, and then just sort of take advantage of it at the very end. Yeah, I don't know that how these guys do uh, sets the bar for what they do moving forward per se, but. I mean, clearly they're about to – they look like they're on the verge of getting production from grad transfers that yeah. surpasses all the others combined. Oh, I mean, those three. You know, Skoranek has 110 career receptions. I, I, I stand Notre by – Notre Dame's leading receiver. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, well, Returning, yes, returning combi- receiver. Yeah, combined. Yeah. No, I think yeah. he's going to play a prominent role. I, I don't know about prior yet because the competition there – but he has uh, but two clearly, years. Too. He has two years too. So I mean, he can. And he has yeah. two years, right? And then clearly, McLeod's in, in the running. So I mean, I don't, I don't know um, that suddenly they said, okay, we're going to start doing this more. I think they found some people that definitely fit, and I don't think what they do in the future will be dependent upon how these guys play per se. I, I, I think you evaluate each situation individually, and I think they've got a really good chance of getting some real production out of this group and. I don't know what Trevor Spates would do, but he's a possibility as well. 
I think part of Kay Garrity's question, though, is also as the transfer portal changes, do they start looking for more Gilmans and Amir Carlisles? Those were obvious fits. The second you spoke mm-hmm. to those guys, right. they fit at Notre Dame. Right. And I know I gave two good examples of players there, but they haven't really brought in anyone that, that didn't work out other than the injuries. Um, and that was Freddie Canteen's. He probably wasn't going to work out, but he was a grand well, transfer. Cam, it wasn't you know, like Camp Smith had up. seven receptions in the first two games. Now, they were it was, it was short stuff. Yeah. But he was, that was my, trivia, my trivia question of the week was who did uh, Ian Book throw his first touchdown pass to? And it was Camp Smith in North Carolina. Uh, and Camp Smith would have helped them more. He, he, got, he was injured. But he, he was injured right when Kevin Stefferson became eligible to play again from his suspension. So it, it ended up working out pretty well. Kaiser Wilhelm, Alabama and TCU are reportedly in talks to play each other in their California opponents if their California opponents are not able to start the season on time is Notre Dame making preparations in case the Stanford and USC games cannot be played. If so, what would be the likeliest contingency plan? And then ND 615, a, a Irish Illustrated subscriber added BYU finishes at Stanford. So Notre Dame and BYU could play that weekend. I think, I mean, certainly conversations with Sorbrook would lead me to believe that Notre Dame is preparing for everything. Um, yeah. this, this would fall under the very broad umbrella of everything, but, uh, the way Sorbrook described it to me is if a game gets canceled, you're more likely to not play it at all than say, Hey, you're not playing. Let's play. Right. Um, that's, that's way more complicated than, uh, fans and media probably make it out to be. Um, it's very hard for me to just thinking about who you want to replace on a schedule and, and when you're losing USC and Stanford, because it just doesn't feel like the college football season even plays out the same way. If you're losing one fourth of the pack 12 or one third of the pack 12 to California schools and teams that was the pack 12, not eligible for the playoffs. I mean, you can joke that they're not anyway, but <laughs> it's, it's a strange, it's really hard for me to think about Notre Dame. Yeah. Pete, exactly what Pete said. Instead of putting, if they just don't play USC, I don't think they get, I don't think they're going to play anybody. I think it's a vacant week. I don't think they have enough games. That's why Jack Swarbrick well, has could, said. That's why Swarbrick has said in the past we will have a competitive enough schedule, even if not everything is played. All you need is if they beat Clemson, it doesn't matter who you play against. It's, it's better not to play USC. If you want to look at it from a football standpoint, if you beat Clemson, you don't want to play USC. No. Awesome. <laughs> it's over. Yeah, you beat true. Clemson. <laughs> just go play Louisville and end your season. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, um, you know, I guess the BYU-Stanford thing, that that, I, that could work out just because of the scheduling uh, connection there. But, yeah, I don't, I, you know, it really uh, leads us into a couple other questions, and I'm going to pop ahead, I think, uh, to this one. Jay Tafel one if you were a betting man, would you bet that Norton will play its full schedule uh, this upcoming season? I would not because of California. That's where I am on the, no, that's how I, that's why I would bet. No, because of the California. Yeah. I would say no. I I would say even, even, even beyond that, there's just so many conflicts that can occur here. Um, I mean, we know where, we know what direction the PAC 12 is headed. We don't know exactly where some of the other conferences are headed. I mean, Arkansas, in the SEC, Arkansas, Notre Dame's never played Arkansas. Arkansas obviously has never been to Notre Dame Stadium. I'm sure they would like to con- they would like to be able to make that trip. But we, it's just, I think it's just too early to comment on something 
uh, like that right now. But if I were a betting man, I would absolutely bet that they will not play a 12 12 game schedule. And I, the, the, the bet you're sort of hedging it against, okay, you start on time and then there's a, a pause or shut it down like that. Who knows what this is going to look like at the very yeah. end. So it's that, that, that would factor into that, that bet as, as it's asked. Um, let's uh, jump to, I'm going to jump to a way to go. K man here, Tim, if USC doesn't have a season, but Notre Dame does this is continuing along this, who would you want to replace USC on a schedule with? In other words, where would you like to end? If we can't check into our hotel, in uh, Santa, where Santa, Mon- where is that, Tim? Manhattan, Mon- Manhattan Beach. Manhattan, Manhattan Beach. Be- yeah, Manhattan Beach, our favorite hotel to check in into at the end of the season. Where would you like them to play? I got an idea. I mean, it's not going to be so. It's not going to be anywhere in California. So where would you? Where would- <laughs> I was going to say that's uh, no. It's not. Yeah. Uh, can they play uh, Pepperdine? No, that's the same thing. <laughs> but no. Uh- I don't know. I'm Manhattan Beach or bus. Okay. USC doesn't play. I'm not watching football. This okay, well, USC I'll has to play. Arizona is Arizona State. Yeah, low, uh, mm-hmm. low, low COVID rate, and you know the weather will be good. Yeah, Arizona, Arizona, Arizona State. Arizona State. <laughs> yeah, the the Phoenix Tempe trip is that's yeah that's the winner. All right, that since was- I'm bouncing around, Tim, I'll, I'll I'll stick with this. Irish boy one. Are you optimistic there will even be a season this year? This is a different type question. Yeah, I think they'll play college football this year. Notre Dame will play college football this year. I'm highly optimistic of that. Yeah, I don't. I optimistic isn't a word that I'm using a whole lot these days. But do I think that Notre Dame will have? Will there be a Notre Dame football season? Yes, I do believe that there will be. Uh, as long as they play Clemson and a bunch of other teams in the situation right now, I'm, I'm being somewhat flippant, but really, Clemson is the reason this. You can't get much more excited than Notre Dame Clemson. Brian Kelly has not had this opportunity in his tenure at Notre Dame. No one has since Charlie Weiss's first year. This is ridiculous compared to who else has come to Notre Dame Stadium in the last 15 years. Number one Clemson playoff. I mean, just imagine had they won the title <laughs> last year. But this is still – this is the best opportunity for Brian Kelly and the Notre Dame fan base to have a team come to its stadium that really genuinely matters and is not overhyped. Right? This, we have seen them play. As long as they play Clemson, Notre Dame's can fill out their schedule with whoever else wants to play Notre Dame. <laughs> <laughs> Just get Clemson on the five home and homes with Western Michigan. And yes, Clemson. and Chuck Arizona Mark, State. We get Chuck go. Martin on the phone. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, I, I think that one of the reasons to be optimistic about it is that John Swafford at the ACC said just yesterday that all ACC schools have informed him that they plan to be open, like for in person in-person instruction in the fall. So if, if that's true, that's half of Notre Dame's schedule right there. We'll be, we'll be in business. Um, you know, Stanford and USC, as much as, you know, the California state system is, is shut down for the fall or at least remote, USC and Stanford are not part of that. Right. So maybe there's a little bit of flexibility there. I think that it's worth looking at California beyond the California public school system when you're trying to figure out, okay, is USC open, is Stanford open? Those are those are two private schools that you know have to play by government rules, but not necessarily the the rest of the state uh, from an education perspective. So it's, I mean, Navy is sounds like it's going to be a go um, in terms of you know you, they're not going to shut down if the ACC is open and the Rams open. That that gets you a pretty pretty far down the road in terms of having an actual schedule. 
Uh, last question Andy, from a pre, uh, aforementioned ND615. How concerned are you guys with possible media restrictions for this season, as well as just sitting in a cramped press box for eight to 10 hours? Would you feel comfortable doing your jobs to your ideal quality without post-game access or even if you weren't allowed in the stadium entirely? There's a lot of questions here. Um, I will say quickly that 10 of Notre Dame's games, I've never been to Lambeau Field, but I can guess, will not be cramped because Notre Dame is not a cramped press box, even if we all go there. And Heinz Field, Charlotte, FedEx Field, where we think they might play Navy, and the new Atlanta. I mean, there's no way the Mercedes-Benz Stadium is cramped in the press box. These are all beautiful places. Only USC is cramped. And they have a new press box. Maybe they're not cramped anymore, for all we know. Yeah, that's all changed. This is not a cramped situation. We have actually – we're the lap of luxury this year. Well, especially, to cover Notre Dame. especially when schools, including Notre Dame, will certainly limit limit the amount of – as long as they allow two, O'Malley, we're – Yeah, exactly. They're allowed As long as they allow two per outlet, uh, we're good. But, you know, you guys are in a, from a different generation with a different um, bill of health. And uh, – Getting on a plane, getting on a plane and flying eight hours to Ireland is not something uh, that excites me a whole lot right now. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you guys this because I was having this conversation with uh, my wife yesterday. She's like, "You're not going to Ireland, are you?" And I was like, "Well, I don't think they're gonna play in Ireland." She's like, "No, that's not really that's what I'm not, asking." That's not the question, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's like what I'm asking is Notre Dame is playing in Ireland. Will you go cover the game? And I was like. I don't know. Like I feel, I, you know, my first reaction is no, but then my my second reaction is like, that's a decision you could make on August 27th. Yeah. Um, and which is probably the right decision if you're a reporter, but it, it's just weird to think like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to cover a Notre Dame football game because it's not safe to do so. Um, that, that might be a world that we're living in at that point. Hopefully not, but it's, it's just, it's weird to think about. Don't you feel more open to flying to Pittsburgh, Atlanta, Charlotte, and D.C., though, than Ireland? I, certainly. I, yeah. I, cer- I certainly feel open to driving to most of them. Oh, Yeah, yeah well, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh we, drive, we, yeah, we can Pittsburgh. drive to Pittsburgh. Yeah. We can yeah. drive to Green Bay. We have direct flights to Atlanta and Charlotte. Yeah. DC provided that we can get on those flights. Um, you, you know, the press box situation, I'm the most prepared for this, as Jack Friedman can attest, because I bring my own lunch anyway to home games so i don't have to worry about the catering or any other germs you guys will be getting yeah from i was that thinking coleslaw mess they throw out there oh, i was God. thinking about that the other day you know and i made some comments about it's going to change the world forever and you know i probably overstepped it like i normally do but 20 years from now the term salad bar people will say what the, what the hell's a salad bar yeah <laughs> because we're not going to eat that way anymore we can't eat that we can't eat that way anymore no, no. It's I mean, and also the the first part of this question is how concerned am I about possible media restrictions as it affects me doing my job? Zero. Like the 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 inconveniences that sports reporters have uh, are zero. Like zero relevance to what's going on in the world right now. Like if we're if we're at the stadium and we do Zoom press conferences with Brian Kelly and two players after the game. I say that's great because what that if, means a game. That means a game got played. Yeah, right, but, but the question also includes what if you weren't allowed in the stadium entirely? That is a that's a problem. That's a problem. That's a because problem. then we're well. There's a lot of pseudo reporting going on like that right now. <laughs> not that we yeah, not that we're comfortable like, with it, but Priester with a self edit that was good right there. <laughs> I mean, as sports come back online, it's not like the media is it seems like there will be press credentials issued for whether it's major league baseball or European soccer. 
it will be limited, but it's not limited to zero. So I don't know why college football would, would then be like, yes, no, no media at all. Cause like you're telling me you're going to have credentials for NBC or ESPN right. broadcast the game, but people to cover it. That, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But there will be limitations. I mean, oh, we've, yeah. we've seen, we, we tend to. We, have, we've been for that pre COVID. Yes. <laughs> we, we, we tend to have fun with how liberal uh, the, the media passes are passed out uh, on certain occasions. And that will, that, that part will definitely change uh, provided that, that the media is allowed to attend, which as, as you mentioned, Pete, if you're going to allow television, um, you know, now our now, uh, but again, access to, to play, maybe it'll probably be Zoom, Zoom, uh, Zoom interviews, uh, post game. Mm-hmm. I am flying That's... to Los Angeles Thanksgiving Friday and staying at that hotel where they have a season or not, and whether the governor lets me into the state or not. I am going to Manhattan Beach that day. You might be pouring your own beer at that bar. I will be. I'll bring. That's right. I, there's a liquor store somewhere. I can grab a beer. Do a, we can do a Zoom chug. You can go to MB Post and then actually make your own meal. <laughs> Sit Sprinkle 20, the bacon sit, dust on yourself. Sit 20 feet away from somebody. I'll be good. Yeah. All right, guys, it's been fun. It's been a while, and uh, I, I've enjoyed it. I know you did, too. We hope our, our listeners did as well. We don't know exactly when the next Irish, Irish Illustrated Insider will be, but it will be uh, just around the corner. We'll let you know that in advance. Thanks for joining us. For Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson, Tim Priester, Irish Illustrated Insider.